So the title of this evening's talk uh, is uh, um, Dharmata is deep. Dharmata is a Sanskrit word. It, it means the fundamental nature of the truth, Dharma. Dharmata. So uh, it is deep. Simple statement. Um, it's an ultimate truth. And uh, I have a short quote here from the Uttara Tantras Shastra uh, by attributed to Arya Maitreya. I think it's the second, third century, but I don't know if there's an agreement on that by scholars and so on, or historians. It's a powerful text. It's a third turning teaching. There's a first turning, second turning, third turning teaching, and it's it's uh, basically a Tathagatagarbha uh, text. And uh, there's several of them, including the Tathagatagarbha Sutra, which perhaps we'll talk about at some point. And so uh, I'll read this, and then uh, I'll talk a little bit about it. Being, uh, and this is from uh, the the. Uh, Uttara, uh, Tantra. Uttara means just go no farther. Can't go any further than this. Uttara, Uttara Tantra Shastra by Arya Maitreya, also called the Ratna Gotra Vivaga, uh, which I get confused about every. I'm not sure if one's the same as the other, but because, you know, Sanskrit words are. Uh, challenging sometimes, especially when there's three million of them. So I'll read this, uh, and then I'll talk about a little bit, as I said. Being subtle, it is not an object for study. I'll read that again. Being subtle, it is not an object for study. This is Dharmata. Being absolute, it cannot be reflected upon. Dharmata is deep, hence it is not an object for any, any worldly meditation, and so on. So it's a very short reading of that, and I can return to it if we need to. It's fairly direct. It's basically saying that absolute, the fundamental nature of whatever this is, not just the relative nature, coming and going up and down, back and forth, the obvious relativities of good and bad, success and failure, life and death for that matter. We can look at those. We can contemplate those. We can meditate on those. We can reflect we can consider, and a, a lot of the provisional teachings are very much about those uh, um, parts of relative truth. Dharmata is pointing at something that actually can't be pointed at. So, uh, and there are others, the, the Heart or Diamond Sutra also talks about that in a little bit different kind of way. So if that can't be meditated on, what, what are we doing? What, what, what should we meditate on? Since nothing is separate fundamentally, we meditate on whatever is showing up. I like to say whatever is moving. Whatever is taking on any kind of a shape or form to um, look at that, receive that. You could say meditate on it. You could also say just receive. No matter if it's turning this way, turning that way. It's a negative thought. If it's, a, if it's a, a negative feeling or emotion that has you by the throat, just observe, please, my friends. If you add anything onto anything that's moving, you cause whirlpools in your mind, and, cause, and, it's, and the, the, 
the metaphor there of the whirlpool that's in the mind also matches up or reflects the whirlpool of samsara or the, the world and its uh, eight worldly dharmas of success, failure, praise and blame, and so on. All those polarities. They get their meaning. Uh, pleasure gets its meaning from pain. It's a contrast. Same nerve ending, same nerve endings, as I've said so many times before, and others have said before me, not really making things up. So this can be seen. You can actually see this. You can see it. It's not like a, I see it over there. It's not that kind of a seeing. It may take on a different form for each person. And I could even say, I'm fairly sure, having been around for a few centuries, that it will take a different form for each person. So comparing notes doesn't work so well. Comparing notes actually will slow you down because you'll end up on the side of the mountain trying to decide whether it's a mountain or not. Is this, is this, is this the mountain? Or is that, are, we, are we in the right mountain? Or? No, you need to do it. You need to do it. We, don't, we have Sangha for support. We don't have Sangha to uh, reinforce each other. This doesn't mean that the Dharmata, or ultimate truth, is going to be different for everyone. It won't be. But that path going up that so-called metaphorical mountain may not have any tie-downs on it. You may be caught in the wind. Or your particular karma, your style, your um, manifestation may be totally on the opposite side where there's no wind. You could be experiencing the winds of karma that are extremely powerful and strong and are just, you could say, are custom-made for your particular form of confusion. This is why the sitting practice of meditation, sit down, hold still, and watch the movement. Holding the body is very very important, the way it, the way it appears here. I'm not saying some other teacher might say something different. And so they're not wrong, I'm not wrong, they're not right, I'm not right. We're not looking at that, we're saying, if you're listening to me, then you probably need to hear this from this old man. You, ha you have it all. You have, you're not separate from what we're talking. What is being pointed out here that the Buddha pointed out, and that is being pointed out by Arya Maitreya. This is a text that uh, um, Chazan has been working on, and has given, I think, a couple of uh, student Dharma talks on this text. Not an easy text. So it seems to be necessary to whatever is arising here with you, rather than taking it into some kind of personalizing it in some way and then comparing it with what, how other people are feeling and what's happening with others, whether they're way up really successful in some kind of God realm or whether they're, they're ready to um, go to war in the hell realm or all of the realms in between and the realms outside of that one. seems to be necessary to just observe, just watch it. Just observe it, just receive. Whatever's happening, just receive. It, it comes through smell, taste, touch, seeing, hearing, thinking. Um, what one did I leave out? 
one out. Yeah. Smack on your lips. Yeah, that one. So the interesting thing is that the ego mind, the self-centered mind, the so-called cage of your afflictions that's rotating around thinking there there is something and there isn't something, there is something, there isn't something, or this is fearful and this is uh, this is uh, safety. On and on, the constant thing that's going back and forth. Don't add to it. If it's arising in your brain pan, your mind stream, it needs to be there. And it doesn't need to be there because you're a bad person. That's the bad thing. It doesn't need to be there because it's a, you're a really good person and you're getting a river of gold. It's there because of dependent origination. Dependent origination doesn't start or end anywhere. It is a totality. We just break it down that way so we can even look at it. But it is totality. And even that word is misses the point because what? It's a label for something that's something else. And so it makes it, it gives it, it gives it its elseness. There isn't anything else. How do I know? I don't know. I don't, I don't know it like I know that's a toad. That's a squirrel. Just check it. I have your attention. I don't know it in the way I, I know this or that or the other thing, like some kind of relative knowledge. When I say I don't know, it's because it, it's you can't help but know it. You can't help it. I would say, is it helpful or not? I don't know. It may be and it may not be, but you're looking at it now. You're looking at it then. And the next then that comes along, you'll be looking at it then. You're always looking at it. What happens is each person, each consciousness comes up with ideas about it and labels it, pushes it away, brings it forward, shuts down on it, distracts from it, and so on. And I'm not saying that you don't have, what you could say, reasons for feeling that way. Feeling it's a great thing you need to move towards. It's a horrible thing you need to move away from. I'm not saying there isn't some visceral kind of thing that's happening to you. It's just that it's not real. And I don't mean that it's not it's not going to hurt. I don't mean that it's not going to be scary. I often use the image of, a, of going to a, a horror movie or something really scary. You know, like The Walking Dead, or what's that other scary movie? Grateful Dead? No, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that. It's like if you you can use that as a as a kind of a test metaphor because it gives you a little bit of a feeling what I am endeavoring to talk about. It's like sitting and watching a movie where zombies or some terrible things about to happen it gets more and more tense and more and more tense and you watch it and even though you know at the same time you know this is not real it's a movie I'm watching a movie you got a bowl of popcorn you know I have uh, guards standing on each side of me so I can watch this movie lock and load it's still scary it's still scary I how do I know I'm I have trouble watching those movies. Unya won't watch them. 
leaves the room. Turn that off. Go away. Boring. So it's just an example of something that is unreal, yet where because of the, the way it's concocted, the way it's put together, it feels frightening or real because we we our uh, human mind and imagination is so incredibly sensitive to everything that we we can something like that shows up and we're pulled right into it. So it seems that the way to work with that is to, in order to understand deeply what the Buddha Dharma is and how it might apply to you and your mind training, to you and your understanding of the fundamental nature of what this lifetime is about for you, what this apparent otherness is about, what this apparent self is about. Be a good idea to train your mind. Sit down, hold still, watch the movement. And that very exercise may not lead anywhere, but because you're looking over and over and over again at the, at the fundamental uh, relativity, the fundamental, you're looking at the, the me feeling or the I feeling, or you're looking at the, the wall, some kind of very simple... Um, aspect of the dualizing mind, the mind that continually, continually dualizes, that take, takes everything and turns it into, I'm over here and it's over there. I'm looking, what, this is what I'm looking at. And what begins to happen, and I don't know how it will show up for you, but the sense feels, uh, instead of reporting back along with the thinking process, instead of reporting back that something that you're observing through any of the sense feels, is something else, it starts to report back more like a mirror. Like you're actually looking, even though it's apparently over there, it, it's you, you're actually um, not separate from what you're observing. This is, it's not it, but this is the gateway to understanding and seeing what the Dharmata is. It can't be meditated on, as it says here in the Uttaratanta. Tantra Shastra. It can't be contemplated because it's not, it's not, it doesn't have a phenomenological status. It's not something. This is why, this way of teaching is why this is called a spiritual path, is because working with the relative world that seems so damn solid, concrete, and plus and minus an existence, non-existence, it seems so incredible. We tend to identify with the body-mind complexes. You know, not that we don't, don't need to do that somewhat, but we get fixated and attached to it. And if that begins to be threatened, then we think that we, our, our identity, is somehow in danger or threatened. But who you actually are is never threatened. So that's why it seems to be important, at least it is from this direction, and you're here listening to me, so to find out fundamentally who you are. 
find out what we know what the, the, the uh, primary uh, mistaken identity is me. And then the secondary one is those guys. Both of those are untrue. They feed off from each other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Me and them, me and them. I and that. I and thou, as Martin Buber would say, the Jewish theologian. Have questions? Thank you. Question from Chiazan in the other room. If the third turning teachings are beyond worldly meditation, how do we aspire to see them? So, good question. And so, third turning teachings are about Buddha nature, which some some lineages disagree and think it's even that that's going too far. That's more going back into some kind of theism. Uh, and so this is the whole Shantong Rang Tong debate, which I, I don't want to get into that, mainly because I don't I don't have the scholarly understanding to be able to flesh it out for it. Not a scholar. I see what this is. I don't think much. So it seems to be. So it seems to be, the way we work with that is to go deeply uh, into our consciousness and, and work with it as meditators and also work with the conceptual level of understanding, which is why we study. So you'll notice that I'm not sitting up here and just talking all the time. The, when I'm, I, mean, I talk a lot, but I'm talking about what I see. And what I see is backed up by everything I ask you to study. It's, it's all saying the same thing and just in different ways. Uh, Samdhina, Mochana Sutra, Lankavatara Sutra, Heart Sutra, Diamond Sutra, uh, Tathagata Garbha Sutra, Ratnagotra Vipaga. Uh, if you read those, it's saying this same thing over and over and over again. And, even, and those are even translations out of other languages. So I think it's a matter of studying the conceptual area, sometimes called the two wings of the bird, the concepts and the intuition. So the intuition, we face the wall and work on that seeing, seeing what this is, see what it is, not concepts. And and then we bring our mind to our study to the concepts and work on those with Sangha, Buddha, Dharma Sangha, the teacher, the teaching, and the community. Those are all very important. A lot of lineages the Sangha is not uh, very strong, or it's it's strong, but not but in a social way, not a study way. Or else they go the other direction, and nobody gets to talk to anybody. So it's a. Uh, um, so it's bad. <laughs> What is a strong Sangha? Strong Sangha is a community of people who are studying the Buddha's Dharma as it's presented by all the texts that we've been studying. Countless numbers of them. Can't study all of them, so we're trying to study some. 
and uh, it's good to have one particular teacher or guide or mentor, which that's what I try to function as. And then, uh, uh, and then it's a community that works together with that situation to support each other uh, in that study without developing a lot of gossip or a lot of criticism of others or uh, interpreting other people's situations usually shows up as gossip harmful so we need some form so that we can make sure that we're sincere and serious about this so we can actually study this material slowly include, include, include just because one person is erudite or has the, has the concepts and they can explain and what this means and what that means and turn it this way and turn it that way and come up with lots of words, uh, Sanskrit words or interpretations, doesn't necessarily mean that they are any more advanced than someone over here who never says anything and just receives. And the other way around doesn't mean that the one who's quiet knows more because they're quiet. So it's about including whatever kind of dynamic is showing up. More about that if you have it. How can we relate to the Sangha without the, the comparison? Very good. So don't try to get rid of the comparison to start with. Communication, the three C's that I use are communication, cooperation, collaboration. So you got to have a lot of communication before you can cooperate. Because if you misunderstand what someone is coming from and you drop away from that too soon, you, the cooperation will start to crack and come apart and there can be difficulty, warfare, blaming, even though you don't say anything. Ask me that question again. Can you remember it? Ah, it is contagious. Bad memory. Anybody remember his question? Joy? Do you remember? How, how could we do it without comparing? Yeah, yeah that was what it was. How can you relate to Sangha without comparing? You can't. You can't. You have to do it with comparing. You include the comparing. When, if I were to say, don't compare or don't judge or anything like that. I would just be doing it to help you look at that, not to get you to stop doing it. Because I, I know you can't stop doing that. I've never stopped judging. I'm judging you right now. Probably pretty accurate. So it's not about getting, it's not about being someone else, being better. It's about being genuine. Be who you are. Be the whatever negativity is arising in the uh, body body, mind, complex, any, anywhere in the complex, whether it's a feeling or a, no matter what it is, don't fight with it. Don't accept it as, you know, I just have to live with this. Don't do that. And don't, don't push it away. And don't turn away or shut away from it. And that way, it will do whatever it needs to do. Everything is uh, self-existing. Anything, and it's just an amazing thing about the nature of reality that something can show up intensely vibrant and brilliant as something and be gone and never return. It's just there and it's gone. It has no relationship to anything else. 
put that in your, uh, your uh, what do they call that? Uh, Pratijasamutpada and smoke it. <laughs> so dependent origination works from the relative point of view. From the ultimate point of view, um, uh, there's no point of view, so it can't work. Yes, Shannon. What's in between rejecting something and fighting against something? What's in between rejecting something and fighting against something? Uh, they're both uh, two different levels of aggression. So there, there's nothing there. there. Go ahead. Or what is like, what is between uh, rejecting something and saying, "Oh, I just need to learn how to accept this." I never say accept. And, and, uh, and this, I want you to listen to this part. This is an important part. If you say in your mind, oh, I just have to, this is ignorance. That's highly cultured. It's like cottage cheese, highly cultured ignorance. It's ignorance that comes out and looks presentable and per- perfectly okay, but it's not. No comment. Make no comment. Whatever your feelings, uh, experiencing, don't add any comment to it. Don't add, don't subtract, don't divide. Those are the three poisons. But do nothing with it. And it's very difficult to do that because the process of learning to, you could say, undo that is to watch how you can't, you have no say-so about it. The actually seeing that there's no say, say-so causes, and I'm putting this uh, uh, tentatively, causes the consciousness to stop grasping at itself. And it's more. Uh, it becomes more apparent that there is no solid identity that's trying to do something or stop something or start something. Because we get tied up with other, how I feel, how I shouldn't feel, how I could feel, how, and all, or it's because of this, because of that, because of this. We get tied up in that, and that ties up the identity because it thinks there's an other. And it's just, it goes around, it's just like a merry-go-round. So no comment. Just observe, observe it in such a way that you just see the contrast, but you're not, you're not voting for this side or this side. You follow? More? It just feels so hard to do that. That's why we face the wall. I mean, it's, it is, uh, I will help you. It's impossible to do that. Because there, as long as there's somebody, as long as there's somebody trying to do something, it's going to be uphill. So that's why, but we, ha- we need to do that so that, so, uh, so I'm, I never tell anybody to, well, just surrender, just give up. Although that might be something that you do, but you will do it out of your awareness rather than out of being worn out. You'll do it out of your awareness. You will, you will see there will come a time, a place, uh, when because you're, uh, of your endeavor of wanting to see what is true yourself, that eventually that will be, that will be an area of space, uh, an interval where you just drop everything. It's called the final disappointment. And there isn't anyone here that, that, that cannot do that. It's actually a non-doing to be uh, to get way out there into Taoism. It isn't actually something you do. It's something that you see and see and see and see. And it just if you see it, the awareness itself just causes the whole structure of me, 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 and my stuff, my ideas, my problems. It just starts to collapse because the, weld, the welds that hold all those things together, 
to use a metaphor, the welding there has to do with passion, aggression, and ignorance. Those are the things that are holding that in a bundle that make it look real. More about the back and forth part. It seems to be necessary to sit down and watch the way the mind keeps saying. But it, you know, but anytime you say, "Oh, I just should," or maybe I, don't, no comment. There again, you might have to watch yourself continue to comment on things before that starts to slow down. Because if you comment on things and you try to stop that, then it's a double negativity. Then you've got the negativity of the comment. And then you've got the other negativity of trying not to do that. So it has to be done through the awareness rather than some kind of activity of uh, some kind of uh, mentation or some kind of mental uh, uh, intention to stop doing something. The Theravadans wrestled with that for quite a number of centuries. I think they're still wrestling with it. Anything that starts with a T is difficult. Turtles. I mean, that's what holds up the world. There's turtles all the way down. You have another question? Thank you. I'm listening. Oh, I thought you were looking at me. No, I was looking between <laughs> the tripod. That's probably why the triangle. Um, do we need adding to slow down in order to see through the self that we do, impute? Do we need adding? Just do we need to slow down? Yeah, we need to slow down. That's what, that's what bringing everything, take everything that you can as gently as you can without any aggression or any sticks behind you or Zen masters with clubs without any, or, or any kind of commandment that needs to be voluntary. Sit down, pull still, watch the movement of the mind, because the movement might not happen the first week, second week, three months from now, two years from now. But if you're persistent, eventually you'll begin to see the fundamental nature of what this old makeshift thing is we call reality. No. It's only about the awareness. And everyone will do that different. Some people are great at addition. They're not even mathematicians. They just add, 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 add a comment, comment after comment after comment about this, and then they comment on their comments, and then there's a comment on the comment, and there's another comment on that comment, and then they write a book. It's just incessant. Not wrong. You might might write uh, a bestseller. Of course, to me, all sellers are the same. They're dark and dank. (laughs) I couldn't resist that. So the idea is whatever is occurring in in your mind, I don't care how miserable or upsetting or depressing or, or wonderful or joyous or whatever, just observe. Just, just don't object to it. Objecting to it actually can cause it to get more intense. 
like going to war with war. Not easy. Or Is that thing to get up and leave sitting for physical pain, objecting? Well, if you're, if you're, if you're sitting and your body hurts, get up. This is not Japan. This is not traditional. You can give it up. You know your body. You know who you are. You know what. You know why you're here. You know maybe you need to. Maybe you need to get up and maybe feel guilty about it. But that's that's your creation. There's nothing, nothing in here that, that is pointing a finger at anybody, if I can help it. That's just a misunderstanding of this kind of training based on some kind of ancient macho idea of men being in charge, basically. I know, I learned that from my stepfather. Go ahead. Is physical pain rooted in, in mental pain? Well, I think they're connected together. But it doesn't, it doesn't let, let us off the hook and say, well, you know... If you're in physical pain, it still hurts. So you take care of yourself and don't don't ignore it. And try to if you're if you're sitting and your knees start to hurt, stretch out or stand up. Or don't don't put yourself through any kind of physical discomfort. It's a misunderstanding. It's a pretty big one. In Buddhism. Sano, can you say a bit about choosing not to comment? Uh, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't say choose not to comment. I would just watch the commentary with it, with an idea that you're not going to, not going to promote it. You're going to, you're going to shut it down. So when I say don't comment, that's probably enough. Just no comment. And then when you do that, you just notice that the comments kind of come up on their own. It's like say, um, can't come up with a good metaphor for it, but it's like something continues to happen, and you have a an idea that uh, you shouldn't be doing that, or this teaching person said, don't do that. But that this person also said that don't go to war with it or fight with it, but just, if you can, watch it and see if you can see where it's getting its fuel from. Because then, if you see if you see it in toto, you might be able to go in and actually snip that line. I mean, it would be something that would just be very, very easy. It would be no effort at all. You just wouldn't do that anymore. You would just you just wouldn't do that because it would be coming out of what awareness and not a conclusion. You don't need uh, don't need conclusions. Conclusions conclude themselves. What's the difference yeah. between supporting each other and reinforcing each other as sangha? Be more specific. I hear you, but be more specific. You used those words earlier, I think, and I wasn't sure what the distinction was. What did I say? No clue? I remember the exact words. So, supporting and. Maybe it wasn't in terms about reinforcement, was around the context of gossiping or reinforcing. Yeah, you see something that's, uh, you have all the forms that we have here, and we have a lot of them. Uh, and you see someone that is outside of the form somehow, somewhere in some way, give it the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's not a matter of, give it some space to see what it actually is, rather than immediately think someone's not doing what they should or you don't, we don't know the, what do you call it, the backstory. We don't know what somebody's going through, what's what's happening to them. So, I want to 
give it some room. You have to, uh, if you, I, I think it's so important, something I say all the time, but try to meet people where they're at rather than, than laminate some kind of judgment on them and, and meet the judgment, meet what you think they are. Uh, how do you know where people are? You don't. You don't just know what you can know what's happening with anyone. But if you just meet people where they are, you won't know what's happening to them. But there's a, a quality of uh, space and openness so that if, if there is some kind of communication needs to come up from that person, then you're likely to be ready to receive it because you're, you've got everything on receive. Receive, receive. That's what this mind training is about, receiving. Not easy. Especially, sometimes if you're for too much on receive, the other the person you're with might take that as kind of you're condescending to them. Oh, you're so holy and you never have any problems. And some people just will do anything to get you to engage in some kind of low-level skirmish about who's better, who's winning, who's smart, who's, who's really nice, and who's at fault. So, might have to go to war. Might have to kill somebody. That's really a bad one. Especially if it's yourself. Don't do it. There's no way you can kill yourself. There's no way you can kill anybody else. But that's a story for another day. Choo choo. Greg from the UK has a question. Hey, Greg. Is it okay to include the passion to receive teachings and understand concepts under the impression of communicating, cooperating, and collaborating with other body minds in the future? Yep. Right on, bro. He's got another one? No, this is from you. Was from you, okay. Um, the title was Dharmata is Deep. Yes. I'm wondering what is meant by deep. So I think uh, that's translated out of the original Sanskrit, or maybe that one's out of the Chinese, I'm not sure, into English. So um, I think that it, it's just a, a way of describing that, it, that it's. That it's uh, to see what it is might take some time of going deeper and deeper into your consciousness to see how the consciousness is working. Uh, and eventually it opens up, like I've talked sometime about the me feeling that's in here somewhere. If you look at this long enough, uh, it starts to break apart. And what, what's behind it is dharmata. And it's not a thing. And, and the metaphor, metaphorically, I'm just saying it's behind it. Fundamentally, it doesn't even behind it. But you can't find it. That's why it's uh, called deep. But the but the uh, the awakening to that is that nothing is separate from it. Um, earlier, you said since nothing is separate, we meditate on whatever shows. So, are you saying when we meditate on whatever shows up? that we're seeing the absolute? <clears throat> so you're all, we're always seeing the truth, but we shut it out. So it's available. It's available now. 
you're looking at it right now, not just I mean, anywhere you look. Look at the wall. Look at the tanka. Look at the camera. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the floor. Look at the back of your hand. You're always looking at it. More? So if that's the case, where does the knowing arise from? So it's not knowing in the conventional sense of knowing that what's on my cup is a picture of a mouse. So I know that. That might be a rat. But I know that, but it's that not that kind of seeing something and recognizing it, naming it, and tying into this the um, a sixth sixth consciousness, sixth, seventh, and eighth consciousness, as it's described in the Yogi Chara tradition is some kind of something, some kind of phenomena. So is the knowing you're talking about the not knowing? Yes. Is it seen to the depths of dependent origination? So the word depth is a relative teaching because it's depth rather than surface, it's depth. It's a relative teaching that uh, would hopefully will convey to you that this might be might take some time to see this, but it's also not separate from anything. So it's also right in front of us. But the imputation or the belief in in the uh, phenomena, the belief in relative truth, is so intense. Just uh, we we just think we are somebody, and we think everybody else is somebody. It's so intense. So it seems to me. My understanding is if you watch what moves, in particular in the mind, watch the movement of the mind to continually create daydream and daydream and daydream and daydream. Just watch that. That which is watching the daydream doesn't do anything. But you can't see it. You can't see what's watching. You can't, the watcher can't see the watcher. Sometimes the idea of a mirror is used, um, but I, the way it shows up for me in that area is that the, the phenomenal world is like a mirror. So uh, it's always it's always looking. We're always looking at ourselves. There really isn't a self, but, but the feeling of being separate and then looking at the world, other people. We're, we're seeing, we're seeing ourselves. This is this is the this is a wisdom mind, and then the compassion is a deep concern for what you're looking at. Not because it's separate, but because it's not separate. More. Could you read the verse again, please? Yes. <clears throat> so it says, um, being subtle, it is not an object for study. Being absolute, it cannot be reflected upon. Dharmata is deep, hence it is not an object for any worldly meditation, and so on. Pardon me? Is there an English translation of the term dharmata? I, I think it's just, I don't know what it would be 
you go look it up, but it's uh, Dharma means truth, and uh, the you know, Dharmakaya is the body of truth. Um, Robert, do you know? Um, Dharma also means thing, mm-hmm. so it could be like thingness and things as they are, the nature of anything that arises. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Um, everywhere you look, you see it. You could say anything as it rises is deep. Now that doesn't matter. Can we not believe other's thoughts? Do you believe our thoughts? You have the thoughts? So when I say don't believe your thoughts, don't believe, don't believe it. I'm also saying don't disbelieve it. Don't take any posi- anything that's arising in the mind. Don't don't take a position on it, and then it it stays relatively. It just it's just a thought. It's just coming out of who knows where, the Alevijnana or the or some other you know from uh, the, the planet Voltron. It's just it's just showing up. But if you do anything with it, it starts to function in ways relative to your imputation that there is something there. And it can get dark, it can get light, it can get larger, smaller, it can rotate, but it's gonna but the the nature of fixation starts to happen in that area. The nature of locking down on something, wanting a reference point. So when the thought when thoughts arise, don't accept them, don't reject them, don't look away. And that's a that's a lifelong practice. Because most of that practice is seeing how you can't quite do that. I mean, like you can't really succeed at that. It's something about endeavoring to do that. The awareness around that starts to get stronger and get stronger than the muscle-bound uh, thought process or, of ego. And, it, and the kind of strength that comes out of there is, is not, not a relative situation. It's just it's a kind of clarity about it. More? Can the question be a reference point? Sure, but it's not about getting rid of the reference point. It's about being aware of the reference points. Can we fixate on questions? Mm, yes. <laughs> that wasn't one of them, though. That was really loose. Did you help him? Well, that's a good boy. <laughs> Did you have a question? What, what is suchness? Uh, so, those in ancient teachers in the past have tried to come up with some way of pointing at something that they understood about the nature of what reality or truth or whatever, the ultimate truth. So, um, uh, word suchness or tatata or tatagata uh, is is the immediacy, uh, just just a very simple situation. Uh, you could call it emptiness, shunyata. All kinds of relative words come up to help support that situation. If if you can see what's in front of you, hear what's in front of you, smell, taste, touch, think what's in front of you, without adding, subtracting, dividing, or doing anything, this is suchness.
is a relative way of talking about it. What does it mean to think what's in front of you? You're doing it. Don't you notice that happening? You're thinking my head is too shiny. No. Actually, sign house is shiny. So, sure, I'm being silly, but I'm saying we, we're, we're always kind of adding adding or taking away. We're judging something, take away. We're adding something, uh, modifying something, how something is or looks or some kind of thought process is happening most of the time. And it's happening here, too. That's how I know about it, because I do it myself. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't, don't accept rejective avoid. Those are the three poisons. It's a very, it's a very simple formula, and it's, it can take a lifetime to practice that. And that's a fact of the divine, yes. Um, earlier, you talked about the winds of karma and how you might be focused on something and you use the hand. You're looking at what you think you're looking at instead of what you're looking at. So if that fixation is also dependently arisen or choiceless, how can we see, like the thinking, how can we see it directly then rather than what we think we're looking at? By looking at it. Just persistence. And less is better. So it might take a while to see that that situation is a projection or is an imputation or is a a projection about something else. Very difficult to see what's directly in front of us. We're always projecting onto something. Having thoughts, and if we see somebody, we have thoughts about it. One of the primary thoughts uh, that that is not unthought, not uh, actually thought about, is just uh, um, believed in that I'm here and everything else is over there. The over thereness is a, a very simple form of projection. There is no over there. I'm not saying that that this form and that form aren't separated, but uh, but what we do is we add on some kind of identity to the whole thing, some kind of separation that is uh, fluffed up as me and my world, and it's called territoriality. You said that, um, well, to paraphrase, maybe your karma is deep. There's endless karma. So, if you're not adding or subtracting, dividing, it's coming up, coming up, and coming up because the wheel keeps turning. I mean, I wasn't people. What if, wow, what if there's a thousand lifetimes of karma? Doesn't matter. You just have to see it and not accept it, not reject it, and not look away from it. And you might have to put up with a lot of terrible odors for a while because of dependent origination means that, you know, to put it literally, you got this coming. Whatever's happening to you is dependently 
it's, it's causes and conditions that bring this up, uh, all the way from the uh, plaque in your arteries to the, the glomeruli getting mixed up with marbles in your kidneys. You know the marbles in your kidneys? They don't work. They don't function. Or do they? I'm just being silly, but I'm just saying everything is dependently arisen. There isn't anything. Your saliva is dependent on all kinds of things to be saliva. Your fingernails, you didn't grow these fingernails. There isn't anybody behind any of this. It's just an astonishing discovery that is available to anyone. I could not sit up here and talk at all unless I had some kind of understanding of what this was because I'm a very, very naive, vain, and self-centered. The ego that's here is that way. But it's unreal. So therefore, I don't have to believe anything, I think. And I don't. If I did, I couldn't do this. Yes? Does consciousness still have a localized quality to it when the self is seen through? Again? When the self has been seen through? Yeah. It's called Kyo'un. Uh, native cloud. That's localized. You're always in the same neighborhood, according to what was that guy? Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. <laughs> More? What is the contrast between the localization of consciousness when there isn't a self and when there is? So there, there's never a self. There isn't, it's an illusion. So your question about localization, that, that's a relative local and, and uh, foreign. It's not, they're not separate. They just look that way. And they look that way because of the nature of relative truth. Fire is hot, water is wet, earth is hard, wind moves. You know, all the various things that are obviously, are not opinions, they're just, and that's why it's so difficult to look at this and see that it's unreal, because fire's hot. It's not an illusion. But it's dependently arisen, so it's, it's depend, interdependency gives it, a, gives it an intense relative reality. But who you are deeply is uh, not, not only not separate from that, but at the same time, it's completely beyond that. Just a relative way of continuing to use relative metaphors. The idea of dropping off body and mind, what is there other than body and mind? So that's a teaching of Dogen, 13th century teacher Dogen Zenji. The idea of dropping off body and mind, pretty hard to do that because here's the body and here's the mind. But it's the idea of concretizing anything that's happening there into some kind of solid experience of I am having this. We're not saying you ignore, you know, your uh, headache or ignore uh, thought patterns that are spinning around about something that happened yesterday that was bothersome to you or maybe threatening. We're not saying stop doing that. Just be aware that it's unreal. It's not substantial. It's like a dream, like it says in the Diamond Sutra, like a dream, like a dewdrop, like a bolt of lightning. It's incredibly present. Unreal.
So if you sit down, hold still, watch the body and watch the mind, uh, if you do that, there's no guarantee, of course, but there's a very good likelihood that your body and mind will drop away and you get don't get to take any credit for it because there isn't anyone. We're not separated beings, but we're not separate. Consciousness doesn't belong to anyone. It just feels like it does. Feels like we, I have my consciousness, you have your consciousness. This is why there's wars. People believe their thoughts and their ideas and their territoriality. Oh, mentioning plaques and homeriali or difficulties. Um, you talk about Dharma gates. So if there's a difficulty situationally or health or any scenario, talking about it now is one thing, but when the heat is on, it's really hard to not get sucked into that. How can you, on the fly, Okay, so how can you um, be like a cheerleader to that dharma cave that's difficult? How can you like say, yay, this is my dharma cave, when it feels like shit? Um, if you know what the Dharma Gate is, uh, to be very literal and, and pragmatic, you could actually write it down on an index card. You know, set it down in front of you, uh, meditate for three hours, look at the wall, sit there, two hours, whatever you can do, and then the last 20 minutes, look down at the card and look at the concept that is pointing to the Dharma Gate. You know, whatever it is, you know, jealousy, anger, um, whatever it may be, so that you can use that concept to come back into your mind with that direction and do nothing with it other than be aware of it. See if you can see the front door and the back door to that situation. That, that's a way. Further questions? Thank you. I think you said something um, to the effect of whatever's happening to you, you have it coming. Just a way of saying it, yeah. That thought feels comforting to me when I'm having a difficult time. So I'm wondering how that idea, how I can use that to see this rather than feel better. Well, it doesn't matter if you feel better. Is that? Emotions are, you know, sure it's nice to feel better and it sucks to feel terrible, but if you just constantly are trying to push or do away or shut down the emotions, it just creates more, more disturbance. So if you feel good, enjoy it. If you feel bad, enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. A lot of times things suck. A lot of times it's difficult. All kinds of difficulty comes and goes and comes and goes. But what you find what you're saying, if you look at that and think, feel a little bit better, I don't see any problem with that. It's like, but I'm not actually going so far as to say, well, this is just faded, so don't lecture yourself about it. 
the idea is just 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 touch your door, just flash on that. Say whatever's happening is it's just no comment. No comment. And the no comment can go to such an extent that you don't know whether you're happy or sad. That's possible. Happy and sad, happy and sad. Like it says in the Sadhana of Mahamudra. Can you remember that? Hmm? Sadhana of Mahamudra, happy and sad. That. Huh? I've heard of that. Can you recite it? Into emptiness. That's pretty close. I think that's it. <laughs> Old timers are talking. About. Cool. Uh, just, a bit, but if you if you don't differentiate, if you differentiate, then one wants to hang around and be the one that's really the what's happening, really the truth. You know, wants to leave its calling card. But you don't have to do that. Difficult. But like a stage play, you know, I sometimes say your life is like a stage play, but you know, you can just step off the stage. You don't have to leave the theater, but sit in the front seat. Enjoy the enjoy the uh, stuff coming and going. Right now the baby leaving. So. <laughs> What does? Your, your live feed. Oh, yes. not surprised. Any further questions? Okay, thank you.